0: I am so excited about today's message. I've been waiting for weeks and weeks for this message today because it's called Your Future Depends on This. If we grasp this, if we, if we really sink this in, it will impact our future in such positive ways. Your future depends on this. I want you to help me to complete this phrase. You can't teach an old dog, type it in the chat. What? What can't you teach an old dog? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Why can't you teach an old dog new tricks? Why? Why can't you do that? Because old dogs are done learning. And like, I'm done. I've reached my max. I'm not going to learn anything else. But there's so much more to learn. I want you to think about this. Jesus did something. I've always found it fascinating. Been thinking and meditating on this for years. The disciples, Jesus' disciples, were arguing Amongst themselves and who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? You know, everybody wants to be a part of something great. Uh, Scientists have researched that, and we know that about humanity. We want to be a part of something great. And so the disciples are having that discussion. How do we how can we be the greatest in the kingdom? How can we be a part of something great? And so Jesus does this in Matthew 18. He says, About that time the followers came to Jesus, his followers, and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus called, here it is, a little child to come to him. And he he stood the child in front of the followers. And then this is what Jesus says. Then he said, the truth is, you must, notice this, change your thinking. Okay, we got to think differently. What? Why? And become like little children. What is it about the thinking of a little child that's going to impact us in our lives so we can... Finally experience all that we want to experience so that we can be a part of something great. So God can do something great in us. Change your thinking. Become like little children. If you don't do this, you're never going to enter God's kingdom. I just want to clarify something real quick. A lot of times we think about God's kingdom and We think, okay, that future place, heaven, I'm going to get to go there. But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here and It's eventually there. In other words, it's something we can experience now and we can experience it in a more fuller way in the future. You can experience a portion of heaven right now if you change your thinking and become like a little child. He continues, verse number four. The greatest person in God's kingdom is the one who makes himself humble like a little child. You know what? is interesting about little children is they have a thirst for knowledge. They're always asking questions. They want to learn. That old dog, I'm done learning. And I got to be honest with you. I've heard people around church, even people who were younger, but they've been in church a long time. They're like, I've already learned all I can learn. You know, I'm just kind of done. I even heard people say, you know, I don't go to church anymore because I kind of got the God thing figured out, or I kind of got the Bible thing figured out. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I mean, it's true that our bodies and our brains tend to slide towards comfort and rest. What God is saying, what Jesus has said so clearly here by standing that child, by standing that curious child before them saying, change your thinking become curious and have a thirst for knowledge is this is the path to greatness. This is the path for you experiencing everything that you want to experience out of life. Change your thinking that way. Now I want to read you a quote from a Nobel prize winning person. His name is Leon Letterman. And this is what he says about children. Children are born scientists. They do everything scientists do. They test how strong things are. They measure the falling bodies. They're balancing themselves. They're doing all kinds of things to learn the physics of the world around them. So they are all perfect scientists. They ask questions. They drive their parents crazy with why, why, why? Asking questions. You know, Jesus asked more than 300 questions in the Bible. You know that Passover or communion, communion is a celebration of curiosity, Because communion or Passover begins when the youngest child who's able to ask this question asks, why is this night different from all other nights? There is a thirst for curiosity. Maybe it's what Jesus means when he says in Matthew 22 that we need to love God with our minds, with our brains, with a thirst for learning. Proverbs 18 says it like this. Wise men and women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. Hosea says this. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. So the quick way to getting what you don't want is to say, I'm there. I've arrived. I don't really need to learn anything else. I I met a guy one day at church. He'd been in church all of his life and we discussed something in church that day and he came to me after church and he was a little bit bothered. He was a little bit miffed. He says, I've been in church all my life and I learned something today that I've never learned before. And that bothered him. We should not be bothered by learning. We should have an excitement and a joy about learning because it's when we reject learning that we destroy ourselves and our future. Your future depends on your thirst for knowledge. Einstein said this, I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. He says at a later time, he says, never lose a holy curiosity. That is what today is about, and your future depends on that. Now, I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 3. Just listen deeply to Paul's heart and his passion here. This is what he says. I don't mean that I'm exactly what God wants me to be. I have not yet reached that goal, but I continue trying to reach it and make it mine. That's what Christ Jesus wants me to do. Brothers and sisters, I know that I still have a long way to go, but there's one thing I do. I forget what is in the past, and I try as hard as I can to reach the goal before me. I keep running. Now, listen to the grand finale of this. All of us who have grown to be spiritually mature should think this way too. Everybody, there is this thing that naturally is about us. I said it a second ago. Our bodies and our minds kind of seek to go to a place of rest, and they naturally gravitate to this, okay, rest. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. What Paul is saying here, that if you want to get the most out of life, like if you just really want to live life to the fullest, that you want to make an impact in this world, that you want to see God do something amazing in you and through you, that God designed and God wants to do, then you've got to keep growing. And it is those who are the most spiritually mature. And this is where I got to be honest with you. Because a lot of times I meet people who, who, you know, they give off the vibe that they're really spiritually mature, but they have nothing else to learn. Like I just, I'm there, I've attained it. All they have to do is tell other people all the stuff that they learned, but they don't themselves have anything new to learn. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The spiritually mature have such a thirst. They know there's so many things that they still don't know. I'm going to say that again. The spiritually mature, Paul is saying here, is that there's so many things that they still don't know. The Bible, God's word is a deep, deep ocean that we could never even get close to the bottom of. Now, there's a guy very impactful in the Christian world. Second century biblical scholar named Tertullian did a lot of great stuff, but but he said something, or he had this phrase that he called the rule of faith, and this is, this is what he believed. He believed that once you understand those basic foundational rules of faith that you're done, you've arrived, you've reached it, you've reached the rule of faith and that you should stop learning and stop growing. And I gotta tell you, I kind of felt that way growing up in church. Somehow I picked up on that, that in the Christian church in the West that we just kind of reach, okay, I believe one, two, three, four, five. I believe these things. Now I've arrived, boom, I closed that chapter, I closed that book. I have to tell you, that is a non-biblical concept. The Bible is about the fact that you never arrive. Just what Paul said, you never have arrived. You're always thirsting. You're always wanting to learn more. And the most spiritually mature people are the most humble people like that little child because like, there is so much I haven't learned yet. You gotta have that excitement and joy inside of you if you want to finally realize everything in life that God has for you. Now, could it be that Abraham and Sarah are the people that have impacted this world more than anybody else because they're lifelong learners. Let's consider that now. Genesis chapter one, I'm going to read you verse one, four, and then six. Notice this, God says to Abraham and Sarah, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I am going to show you. So God is telling Abraham right up front, keep your eyes wide open. We're going to come back to that. It's really important. Verse four, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old. Now, I don't mean to insult anybody who's above 70 or 75 or beyond, but just want to say as a matter of observation, he's an old dog. And God is saying, I'm going to teach you a bunch of new tricks. And could it be, as I said a moment ago, that the reason they made such a huge impact is they were lifelong learners. Let's continue on. Verse number six, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. We said this a few weeks ago when I read this word, "More," right? The tree, a tree is where learning happens. And this tree, the great tree of More, means teacher. It is also from the root word that we get the Hebrew word Torah from. Torah, Genesis Through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, everything in the Bible is based on those first five books and everything else in the Bible is a commentary. Like the Apostle Paul had memorized Genesis through Deuteronomy. But the word means instruction. So he goes to instruction to learn a bunch of new things. Now, what happens when he starts learning a bunch of new things? Well, lesson number one in the kingdom, which we talked about just two weeks ago was this. Lesson number one is how he is to treat his wife, Sarah. Abraham was wrong. All of his life, he believed a certain way about his wife because everybody else believed that way. And God says, you can't treat her like she's your possession. She's to be respected as a wife. She's not an object. You must treat her with great respect and honor her as your wife. Abraham's like, why should I do that? Because no one else does this. God says, no, I'm teaching you something new. Abraham's like, this is my belief all along. God is saying you got to leave that behind. See, when we learn something new, we have to leave something behind. That's why God says, go. Okay, I said a phrase a couple months ago. I'm going to say it again now because I think it's really important. If you're never wrong, you're never growing. Here's part of the issue why Jesus says you have to change your thinking, become like a child, become humble. Because in order to learn, it takes humility. To genuinely have a curiosity And a thirst for knowledge means you have to be humble to receive the new truth, get rid of the old, and admit that I was wrong about this. You know, I hate to admit it, but over the years, I've been wrong about my beliefs and I've been wrong in sermons. I mean, it cuts me, it wounds me deeply to say that. But that only way that I'm going to grow and be everything that God wants me to be, is to realize that I'm not God and I have a whole lot more to learn. Can you show me a place where you've been wrong about your beliefs, about this magnificent book, the Bible, that is so deep that we can't reach the depths of? I mean, this is wisdom literature and this is where like a guy like Tertullian, this was so out of bounds because that you know his philosophy on the rule of faith and you have arrived, there's nothing more to learn here. And wisdom literature, which this is what it is, means that you could never learn it all. If you're never wrong, you're never growing. Show me where you're wrong. Show me where you're wrong. Because if you figure out where you're wrong, then you're actually growing. Okay, so so Abraham learns that he's wrong. God shows him. He goes to the tree, God's teaching instruction. He goes to Egypt, God says, hey, look, you're wrong about your wife. And then what do you see? You see the way that Abraham leaves to go on his journey is very different from the way he leaves Egypt because he changes. When he first leaves on his journey, it's Abraham and Lot. And when you get to the end of Genesis chapter 12 and into Genesis 13, you see that he leaves Egypt and it's Abraham and his wife, Sarah. He has changed He's given up an old belief. Now, he spends a lot of time at these trees, everybody, which means he's learning a lot, Genesis 13, 18. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre. Mamre, there's only a one-letter difference in Hebrew between moreh, M-O-R-E-H, and mamre. They're the same thing. It's instruction. But now he's not visiting He's moved in. It's like he's moved into school. He's moved into God's school. He's so thirsty for knowledge. He's like, I'm just going to live under God's instruction all the time because I want to learn so much. That's what people do who are headed someplace. They are learning. They are growing. They're filling their minds with the greatest ideas of all, the ideas that come out of God's word. He permanently moves into this place. He's full blown on curiosity. Genesis 14, 13. He's back at the trees again. So it says this, a man who had escaped and reported this to Abraham, the Hebrew. Okay, let me tell you what's going on. The king of Babylon and a bunch of other kings, they actually, they actually are, it seems like in some ways, following Abraham into the land of Israel. And now they're fighting against these five kings that are in the land of Israel and they defeat them. And a refugee from the fight comes and tells Abraham, but where is Abraham while this fight is going on? Well, now, Abraham was living. We're told he's living again. Where? The great trees of Mamre. The Amorite, a brother of Eskal and Anner, all of whom were allied to Abraham. They weren't Jewish people, but people had like, oh my gosh, this guy, Abraham, he is so full of wisdom. Like he has a thirst for knowledge for the things of God that other people and other nations, other families were like, I got to get around this guy because what he is doing is so wise and his life is just working. And again, he's moved in. He's living there. Genesis 18, 1. Genesis 18 is a really important chapter in the Bible because God appears to Abraham. Now, I, let me just read you the opening uh, verse of it. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees. And there he is again. He's learning. he's being, He has a, such a thirst for knowledge. He is living under instruction all the time. Lord appears to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to the tent. He's learning, he's relearning, he's rewiring his brain to the ways of God. He has a thirst for knowledge. Abraham is really living out what Einstein says. He is passionately curious. Now, I wanna come back to something I said a few moments ago, everybody. Part of the problem of why we don't want to learn is the admission that we're wrong. And it takes a lot of humility, like that young child, to ask a question. Hey, I don't know this. Hey, I'm wrong about this belief. And Abraham has to admit over and over and over again that he is wrong. Made a big mistake down in Egypt. They leave Egypt. And in Genesis chapter 16, we're told this, that Sarah, his wife, saw or took Hagar. Where's Hagar from? She is Sarah's maid. She's from Egypt. Where do you think that they got this Egyptian servant? It's when they went down and they shouldn't have gone down to Egypt and they go down there and Abraham asks his wife to deny their marriage and uses Sarah for his own benefit. He's not loving to Sarah. He's self-loving himself. Says, say you're my sister. And basically, I can't think of a better way to spin this. And a lot of people said this. He pimps out his wife for his interest. And because of that, Pharaoh gives Abraham lots of servants. Hagar, the Egyptian. So this is where probably pick up Hagar. And Sarah says, let's use and abuse Hagar now. It's like it's now it's come full circle. And Abraham says, "Okay, let's use and abuse this woman. Now, God is not happy. He's not happy with Abraham, what happened in Egypt, and he's definitely not happy for the way Hagar is being treated now. God says it is wrong. He is not for that at all. He needs to leave some things behind. When you are learning and growing, there's things that you and I absolutely must leave behind. everybody you see this suit jacket this used to fit me great but I grew and I grew out of it and now it doesn't fit me great it's holding me back I look really goofy like if I wore this out in public people would laugh at me I am not reaching my best in this jacket that's the same thing as our beliefs if we are truly spiritually maturing, as Paul says, and growing, and we've never reached that point, but we're always straining forward, then that means, everybody, that we're finding out we've got to leave some things behind. So, Abraham, in lesson number one, he's got to leave the, uh, a belief behind about Sarah. He's got to treat her properly as a wife. Then they pick up, they pick up a servant named Hagar, and they mistreat her, and God says, oh, no, no not just your wife. You got to leave that belief behind too. And gosh, they just use her to get her pregnant so they could have a child. And God's like, no, 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 no. Everybody did that. Everybody did that. This was common belief. Hey, look, there are things we believe. There are things for those of us who grew up in church. There's things we believe. That was a common belief in the church community. And God's like, oh no, I got some more stuff I want to show you. And God says, Abraham and Sarah, I've got to teach you some more. There's something you need to learn, and there's something you're going to need behind. You're going to need to leave behind. So check this out. Genesis 16 is the great sin with Hagar, the mistreatment and abuse of Hagar. What happens in Genesis 17? God says in Genesis 17, Abraham, okay, I forgive you, but boy, you need to learn a valuable lesson. And I want to mark you and everybody who is a follower of my word. They also need to be marked. And I heard one Bible scholar say it this way. It's the judgment on his genitals. Circumcision. Check this out. Before he can have a son through his wife, Sarah, God says you're going to have to leave something behind. And at the age of 99, you're talking about doing something new. At the age of 99, Abraham is circumcised. He has got to leave that behind so he can move forward. Everybody, It's tough. It's tough when you gotta leave nice jackets behind or you gotta leave something you're really comfortable with to move forward, but we have to do it. Okay, your future depends on this mindset. There is a difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. For somebody who has a fixed mindset, when they stumble, as Abraham and Sarah did often, it just totally destroys them. They can't take it because they feel like it's fixed, that you're working to reach a place and there's nothing more you can do. A person with a growth mindset, when they stumble and fall as hard as it is, it motivates them because like there's more for me to learn. Abraham makes a terrible mistake in Egypt. He makes a terrible, terrible mistake along with Sarah with Hagar. But instead of them falling down, being destroyed by it, they're motivated to learn more. They were wrong. And so they're saying, let's keep growing. It's so important that we have a growth mindset. Now, Professor Carol Dweck, who coined those terms, fixed in growth mindset. This is what she says. Now, if you're a parent, listen up to this. This is really important. If parents want to give their children a gift, the best thing they can do is to teach their children to love challenges, be intrigued by mistakes, seek new strategies, enjoy effort, and keep on learning. That way their children don't have to be slaves of praise. They will have a lifelong way to build and repair their own confidence. We need to have a thirst for knowledge, curiosity to grow, a desire to learn, to have a growth mindset. If we have a growth mindset, our future can be bright if it's fixed. We've capped ourselves. And once you've done that, you've decided to stop learning, stop growing and stop being on the path that God has for you. Because as Paul says, we're on a path of learning As Abraham and Sarah. As we see them, they're constantly at the tree learning, being instructed. Now, I want to end with this. This is super important. Very practical tool that you can do this week. That's going to keep you on a growth path. That's going to keep you on a, a learning path so that your future can be absolutely everything that you want. Dr. Judd talks about a very simple, very practical tool that he uses. He's used it with all language groups. He's used it with all cultures all around the world. It just works. It universally works. Matter of fact, Dr. Judd says this, because this is going to help you with your curiosity. He says, curiosity is number one, tops the list on human beings' superpower. In other words, if you and I have a superpower, Dr. Judd, this neuroscientist, says, curiosity is this now i'm going to tell a story then i'm going to give you this simple practical tool he took the back-to-back gold medal winning women's water polo team right they had won back to back gold medals and he was invited to lead them on a retreat so that they could become even better and he thought to himself what in the world am i going to teach people that have reached the top of the mountain how how can they learn more would they even be curious about learning more and that's his idea. He says, you know what? i got to help them to be curious so they can keep going up in this way and not cap themselves. So on one of the days of this retreat with this water polo team, they take a hike to the top of the mountain. They sit there silently for a while. And then he does this very practical tool that I want you to do. He says, hmm, not um, meditating, but hmm, it's a universal It's a universal sound of, I'm curious for more. And he says, listen, everyone, we are going to have to develop a curiosity. So I want you to get in the practice of saying, hmm. And all that week, that women's team just kept saying, hmm. Now, this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to use that. So when you're confronted with a situation that bothers you, like somebody says something you never heard before about life or about the Bible or about God. Hmm. Somebody says something about you haven't heard before, something you disagree with politically, or are all of our great social issues, COVID, gender, all these things going on. Hmm. Somebody says something about whatever, traffic, weather, whatever. Hmm. Here's what hmm, does to us. Number one, is is what it does. It keeps us present. The Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. In other words, you know the importance of being present. This is what the Bible talks about, and this is what counselors talk about all the time. You need to be present. And when you say, hmm, it keeps you present in the moment. Here's the second thing it does for you. When you say, hmm, It keeps you non-judgmental. It moves you into curiosity when you say, hmm, and it moves you away from being judgmental. We are so quick today to speak. We're so polarized. We're so frustrated. We're so angry. We're quick to speak. We're slow to listen. And yet the Bible says that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. We make these knee-jerk reactions. How are we going to heal that? How are we going to come together? How are we going to be the people that God wants us to be? Hmm. That's what hmm does. It keeps you in a place where you're non-judgmental. Third and final one is it keeps you strong because your brain likes curiosity. Your brain has a thirst for knowledge. Brain power is stronger than willpower. If you're trying to just muscle up, break an addiction, break a habit, you are much better off, neuroscientists tell us, if you employ curiosity, not willpower. Because brain power is stronger than willpower. Lastly, I want you to think about this. When you say, hmm, and that curiosity peaks up, I want you to think about what that does to your eyes. Hey. If you open your eyes wide, that's a person who is curious about something. In other words, if you were to try to open your eyes really wide like this, like wide-eyed curiosity or wide-eyed wonder, you open your eyes wide and at the same time be angry and judgmental and narrow-minded, right, and not wanting to learn, your brain can't compute that, doesn't make sense. If you narrow your eyes like this, And you try to have a sense of wonder and curiosity and be open, your brain, it it, it can't figure that out. Because having an open, wide-eyed, like God says to Abraham, I want to show you the land. I want you to open your eyes wide. Practice that this week. When your eyes are open wide, when you're saying, hmm, those two things naturally go together. You have a thirst for knowledge. And now, just like the Bible says through the Apostle Paul, you're right where God wants you to be. Now, consider these last two scripture verses. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 6 says this, really important. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Oh my goodness. Hmm. Wide-eyed wonder. That's how you get what you want. Finally, last scripture, Jesus speaking in Matthew 13. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. We can't turn. We can't turn so God can heal us. So our lives can be everything that, that we want them to be and God wants them to be. And we experience healing Because our eyes are closed and our ears are closed and we don't have that wide-eyed wonder that Jesus spoke about. Hmm, all this week, will you practice this with me? Will you thirst for knowledge? Will you become everything that God created and designed you to be? Will you experience and live life to the fullest? Will you approach life all week long this week by saying, hmm, wide-eyed wonder? Hmm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that our futures can be so much more than what they are right now. Help us, God, to be fully infected with this curiosity, with this thirst, with this desire to love you with our minds, because there's so much more to learn. In Christ's name. Amen.